Hey, this is Mike and Tom from Ballpark Bros. You're listening to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio. Check us all out on FourEyedRadio.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 82 and is being recorded on February 8th, 2018. Today's topic, Spectral Scans, Star Trek Discovery, episode number 14, The War Without, The War Within. This is a spoiler-filled episode. You have been warned. I'm Eric Dewey. I'm Aaron Gallo. And I'm Eric Berry. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustrations. Stand out from the crowd. For more information... Visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order. How's everyone doing this week, guys? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Splendid. I'm preparing for the snowpocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're getting uh, more than twice as much as we're expected to get, and we have people, you know, going nuts right now because it's supposed to start snowing in a couple hours and Uh, sometime tomorrow. I just hope my job gets some sense in them and says, you know what? We're closing down, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I yeah. know that's not going to happen for me because I am considered an essential employee. I even have a fancy little card I get to carry around in my wallet so that I'm allowed Ooh. to drive during a level three snow emergency. So even if a level three, they have three levels of snow emergencies here. Level one, it's just a warning. Be like, hey, be careful out there. Level two, they say, you really shouldn't drive unless you absolutely have to, but it's not illegal for you to be out on the road. (laughs) Level three is, it is literally illegal for you to be on the road unless you are considered an essential employee. You can get pulled over and arrested or ticketed. Oh, snap. Yeah, So, but I have a little card in my wallet that says, I am a, because I work for a pharmacy, I am an essential employee and uh, am permitted to, to drive in a level three. Is a uh, is that like a level three uh, diagnostic in Star Trek? <laughs> it, it means that it takes as long for me to get to work as a level three diagnostic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I hope I don't get any snow this weekend. I don't know if I'm supposed to. I should probably look look at that. <laughs> probably. Uh, <laughs> I only ever looked at the weather to see if I needed to put my long underpants on. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I got to leave the house today. Do I need my long underpants? <laughs> Oh, it's four out. Yes, I do. <laughs> Ouch. I was just looking at the uh, weather map, and it was like negative 42 in Alaska. I was like, man, I'm glad I don't live in Alaska. That's oh. that's cold. <laughs> right? When it gets into the single digits and just the, you know, the, the coldest it's ever been here while I've been here has been negative four. That's as low as it got. And that was frickin' frigid. Oh, my gosh. It was just the kind of cold. Yeah, I stepped outside, and it's just, like, instantly all the way to my bones just chilled. I was like, oh, this is awful. (laughs) So uh, just to to sideline to a conversation, they launched timelines in uh, 2016, like January. So that's why there's the big anniversary event. But Uh they were promoting it all over the place in 2015 like at all the conventions and stuff right i mm, was it 20 no it wasn't 20 it was i was definitely at a convention in 2014 but i live in the same state that 
the devs are in. So that might be why they were at the convention. Oh, okay. Um, sneak preview kind of action going on. All right. The- yeah, it launched January 14th, 2016. So two years. Yeah, just over two years. That's that's good stuff. And in two years, that uh, brings us to our news for the day. Exactly. They are announcing they are going to have their 500th crew member in Star Trek Timelines. That's a lot of crew. About 250 <laughs> a year. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Damn. You do the math. And to celebrate, they're giving away uh, five free crew slots. So... Everyone who already has the game has access to that. And sometime this week, there's going to be a new legendary character. They gave a shadow of it, but I had no idea what it could have been. But I will say that I really enjoy this game. I think any Star Trek fan should play it. They are really, they have amazing customer service. I've had a couple issues over the last, you know, two years that they've launched. And they've always been super helpful if there's ever a glitch, like with your dilithium, they'll refund you and give you some more. And whenever there's a problem with the server or anything, they reward all of the players with like a, oops, so here's like 800 chronotons or here's whatever. So they're they're really good at, at customer service and supporting a player. So I have to applaud them for that. A couple of those, you know... Oh, yeah, sorry, the server went out for five seconds three hours ago, and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. this because I wasn't online right at that exact moment, but uh, there's my there's my thing for, you know, I got, I think the last one was like some schematics for a ship, it was like five or ten ship schematics, uh, you know, it was something, something pretty good. So yeah, it's, it's a fun game, and I, I like the idea behind it, in that mm-hmm. they, they made up a, a reason to have literally any character from any Star Trek show ever can appear in this game. That's why they're able to have 500 different crew because it's not just the TOS characters or just the next gen characters. You know, it's anybody who's ever appeared in an episode of Star Trek could potentially be one of your <laughs> crew members and uh, their variations. Yeah. What, what yes. Is, one of my battle stations is currently being held by a mother Horta. Um, you know, <laughs> any character you can think of, that's appeared in a Star Trek show, it could be a crew. Yeah, I think I have, like, five different Picards at this point. (laughs) But uh, it's funny, because my wife was playing the game, and, uh, like, one of the starships for for the battles, I, I was just plugging in members of her crew into it, and then I noticed that they were all bald. They were all bold <laughs> characters. And I'm like, wow, you got the bald crew on this ship. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of characters out there. It's it's a great game. So congrats to Star Trek Timelines. Yeah, and if you do play it or if you pick it up and uh, you want to join us, we do have a, uh, what, what, a fleet uh, a fleet that you can join. Yes. If, uh, once you get up, I think you have to be level 9 before you can join a fleet. But it doesn't take long. I got I got up past level nine in one day, just playing with what they with, without paying anything, just playing with what they start you with. I was mm-hmm. able to get past that in one day, and was able to join the fleet. So, get in there, get the game, play it up to level nine, and then join us at the Starfleet Escape Podcast Fleet, 
we need some more people. We got to build that industrial replicator so I can uh, make some more. Stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, that's what I'm aiming for is that replicator. I was like, oh man, I got to get that. <laughs> it's amazing what a difference it makes when you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I've got this guy. And you know, the other day, literally, I had one mission that I'm like, ah. I just don't have anybody that can get past this part of this mission. They miss it by like three points every time. Like even with a perfect <laughs> roll, they miss it with by like three points. I just need to upgrade them a little bit. And they were missing one item. And that one item, when I pulled up the list of how to get it, the only way to get it was a mission that I hadn't unlocked yet. I'm like, well, I can't get to that mission because I can't beat this one that I'm stuck on. <laughs> and so being able to replicate that item to bump up that particular character, get them those extra points they needed to pass that mission and progress was a lifesaver. And yeah. I, I put a little bit of money into it, not too, too much, but a, a little bit. So I'm at a VIP level where I actually get two replicator uses per day. I'm at four per day. <laughs> I feel like I used at least three the other day, but I don't know. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, I want to get that that extra one from the uh, from the fleet, and then, you know, hopefully we can continue building that up and get more even that way as well. So, yeah, anybody listening out there, jump on timelines. It's free. You know, we've, like we, we say we've put some money into it, but you don't have to. You right. Know, and to progress, it's like any of these free-to-play games. If you want to progress faster, you give them some money. If you're satisfied just progressing more slowly, but just you know going, there, it's not a. Uh, at some point, if you don't pay, you're never gonna get past a certain point. It's just gonna take yeah. you a bit longer. That's all. Yeah, there's no there's no real competing in this game. You know, they they do have like a battle system, but it's not required. And you know, you can just play the game normally. The the daily achievements of com- completing so many right battles, and also because if you if you do at least one match in each level, you get a reward every day of some ship schematics. Mm. From, so to maximize my levels, I play at least one match in each level. Um, and then I usually play in the captain level, even though I have ships that can compete in the admiral level. I just play in the the captain level. I have a, a better ship. <laughs> I do better in the captain level, so I play there. And um, you know, just to to hit my daily goals so that I can get my my achievement prizes. Ah, uh, well, Mister Dewey, if you are trying to upgrade your Borg cube, if you're playing the admiral level this month. Uh, yes, you get uh, schematics for the Borg cube. Yeah, I have noticed that. Uh, that's that's why my Borg cube is at level two, as opposed to being a level one like the my other Admiral class ships. It's because of those extra bonuses. I usually only do one Admiral level match a day, but you just have to keep your level as long as you don't get bumped down. Yeah, yeah, and the the only way is that um, like as long as you play it once every two weeks, you're not going to forfeit your rank that you have. It may go down, but you're not going to completely disappear off it. One time I made that mistake. One time I let it slip for a couple weeks in there, and the rank just disappeared because I wasn't playing it. Uh, That happens to me all the time. (laughs) See, I can't stand notifications at all, like anything on my phone, any kind of application (laughs) I have. If there's a notification, I have to check it to clear the notification. And when you have tickets available to do the cadet challenges and the uh, yep. arena battles, there's a little notification by that button saying, hey, look, you can play this right now. And I'm like, oh, I've got to get rid of that notification. <laughs> so I'll play it. I'll do them just to get rid of the notification sometimes. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I kind of do that too. But yeah, Star Trek timelines definitely join us. Look up Starfleet Escape podcast and uh, hit us up. It's gonna be cool, no doubt. So speaking of buying, let's move into the would you buy it section of the show. And gentlemen, would you purchase this item? Yes, I'm going to next week. As a matter of fact, I already have on two different platforms. Oh, snap. (laughs) Uh, I will eventually, but I have to get through the first one first. (laughs) And what are we talking about? We're talking about the second Star Trek Discovery book to be released. Star Trek Discovery, Drastic Measures which will retail or retails for 1440 on paperback and 11.99 digitally. Yeah, I picked it up on uh, my Amazon Kindle app for the 12 bucks and I also picked it up I picked up the audiobook through Audible using one of my credits. Um, I have the monthly, you know, like 15 bucks you get a credit every single month. It would have been I think the audiobook was like 19.99 or something like that. If you okay. just buy it from Audible. So by using my credit, I actually got it for cheaper than you know, it technically would have been. But I really like the combination of Audible and the Amazon Kindle app because you can sync them to where if you're listening on audio and you get to a certain point and then you want to switch over and start reading it, you can jump right into where you were. And then while you're reading on Kindle, Audible will catch up with that so if you go back to the audiobook, you can pick up not where you left off on the audiobook last time, but where you left off reading if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, nice. I don't actually use that feature very often because usually I prefer to consume a book in its entirety in one format or another. But for a lot of people, that's really, really convenient when they're like, yeah, I was reading a book at home, but then I had to jump in the car and go someplace where you can throw the audiobook on and pick up right where you left off and get the next couple of chapters while you're on your trip. So it's it, it's really cool for some people. Uh, it's something that I don't use in that manner often, but it's cool that it's there. Very cool. And I don't know if I've uh, mentioned this before. There's a website, StarTrekBooks.com, and if you go on there, you can see if there are any books that have uh, Star Trek books that have sales going on digitally. Oh, right on. So last month they had the previous Star Trek Discovery book on sale for I want to say one ninety nine. I did see that and I was like, oh man, I wish I hadn't already bought it for the regular price, but I don't know right. if I had gotten to read it already. So yeah, yeah. If I hadn't read it yet and then it went on sale after I bought it, then I'd be like, dang it. But I read it pretty much immediately, and and I've already started this book. It's pretty good starting off so far. It's pretty cool. We get to we get to meet uh, the real Gabriel Lorca, which is uh, interesting. You know, kind of com- contrast how he's behaving in this because this is set well before the Baran incident, so we know it's our Lorca for real that we're dealing with here. Um, right. So it's it's kind of cool, you know. Now that we know what we know to read this book about Lieutenant Commander Lorca, who, who, which is what he is at this point. <laughs> the, the, the real one, not the a-hole one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but what I liked about this is it references Conscious is King from the original series because it deals with uh, Kodos the Executioner. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Yep. It's cool to see continuity within, even though these aren't canon, canon it's good to see it 
in the books. But I mean, they 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 are like working with the Discovery writers, right? I think so because these books were in production before the series premiered. Yeah. So they needed to get some background of, from of the characters and and such. Yeah. I'm assuming they probably did the same process they've always done for Star Trek novelizations and for, I mean, Star Wars does the same thing as well. It's like the books, yeah, mm-hmm. take, these books aren't officially canon in the universe. However, they all have to be run by and approved by the, you know, the, for Star Wars, they had to be run by and approved by Lucasfilm before they could be published. So they had to at least have that level of somebody's checking to make sure they don't completely throw something out of whack. And yeah. then authors themselves are usually very, very diligent about making sure that their story fits within all of the other stories that have already been written. Even though they're not technically canon, they're not really beholden to do so. And they make that effort in most cases to keep that continuity between, you know, the, the universe that they've created outside of the television series. Cool. So why don't we jump into the show and, yeah. and let's talk about Discovery, episode 14. The War Without, The War Within. I always want to say that backwards. I always want to start with Within for some reason. <laughs> I, I, just the weirdest thing, I always want to say The War Within, The War Without. And, but I guess it's the other way around. They didn't consult me before naming this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Those bastards. So, <laughs> the crew make it back to the Prime Universe, but nine months from when they left. Yeah, this one's a another direct continuation from the previous episode. Like, literally... End of last episode, boom, beginning of this episode. In the transporter room with uh, Giorgio and uh, Burnham and Saru and Ensign Crazy Hair. I love that the first exterior shot, though, is the little drone painting it back to USS Discovery. Yeah. That was great. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So, yeah, like we said, they transport over from the Emperor's ship, and uh, her presence aboard is only known to Burnham, Saru, and that wacky transporter chief. Which Saru threatened him being branded a traitor. Reason for him to to say anything about the fact that uh, they had a, what he called it, a Terran defector, is what he referred mm-hmm. to as. Yeah, so it's it's pretty, uh, pretty crazy. It's good because it helps with the continuity. Yes. Why... At the Enterprise crew, ten years later, still have no idea of the Murray universe. Yeah, they made it. They make it like bland in this episode that they're going to be bearing all information, and and we'll get to that. But yeah, I'm glad they're they're at least acknowledging that. And I thought they gave a pretty good reason when yeah. they were doing that. When because they were saying, well, we're in a war effort. So if people knew that their loved ones might be in another universe, people would try to flock and find a way to go there. And I thought that was a, a pretty unique and, and interesting way to for Starfleet to, to bury it. The fact yeah. that they're all a-holes over there. <laughs> well, not only that, but it was a, a, a subtle way, I felt, because it was Sarah who was saying this. And I thought it was a subtle way for him to throw shade at Michael for bringing her there. Oh. Because he was kind of yeah. like, you only brought her here because you lost yours. And you brought her back. Like, imagine if everybody knew about this and everybody went to go find the person that they had lost or had wronged or something like that, you know. So I thought it was kind of a little dig right at Michael there, too. 
Yeah, you know, I I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's that's a good point. Oh yeah, man, that that Sarek, he's kind of a <laughs> dick too. <laughs> but I think we already knew that. Yeah, no, we did, we did. Yeah, I'm just glad they're keeping the continuity of him <laughs> being a dick. Yeah, yeah, good job, guys. Good job. Good job, writers' room. <laughs> He's a, he's a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, in previous incarnations of Sarek, like, from the past, he's, like, a really big dick. Uh, like, in Star Trek V, when... Oh, he was a total D-bag. <laughs> yeah. He's, like, he's human. Like, whoa, dude. You should have already known what you were getting into with Amanda. <laughs> But anyway, we learn that Tyler is uh, back to being Tyler uh, for the most part, but no one is sure how to handle it. And yeah. he still has all of his memories, which is yeah. crazy. That, that is an interesting take, and that kind of leads to, you know, we ask uh, what our predictions are later on in the show. And uh, this kind of leads me to what my prediction is. But, yeah, we learned that Tyler is able to access Vogue's memories, not just folks memories while he was in the Tyler body, but all of folks memories, like he essentially has all of those memories, but he feels like he's an outsider accessing them. Uh, yeah. He, he did say there was a disconnect, which I think might be important. Yeah. It's, it's really an interesting take and I'm glad that they're keeping that around because that still plays into the whole issue of, you know, he's still going to have this PTSD to deal with, you mm-hmm. know, different cause now like maybe he he sub somehow you know in the back of his mind knows that the torture he went through wasn't torture so much as it was surgery that he had volunteered for or that his counterpart had volunteered for and he still has the memories of killing colber yeah that's the one that really i think is going to to mess him up the most is the fact that still he still remembers that, and then, of course, you know, trying to kill Burnham as well. Like, his his whole... He is, he's going to be messed up for some yeah. time. And so I'm kind of curious if, if they deal with it the way I think they're going to deal with it, or if they're going to uh, to, to tough it out and, and try to answer some hard questions later on. We'll see. But uh, he's in a bad place right now, and it's good that uh, some people are kind of getting past it and (laughs) like okay you know what we're going to forget the whole Vogue thing we're just going to treat you as Tyler but there's one one very important person who's not willing to do that just yet right but I I was so grateful to see Saru have a, a heart in this matter like I think Saru is becoming a really great captain and I hope he stays the captain honestly uh, because it's fantastic that we'll have an alien captain, plus Doug Jones is awesome. But yeah. I really like this how this scene played out, where he was really listening to Tyler's concerns, and he said, I recognize that you're not the one who committed these acts, but at the same time, I'm not going to let you go like accessing all of our key systems, yeah. but you have the freedom to roam the ship. And I thought that was great. Like he's he doesn't have to be confined to uh, a brig or 
his quarters. So right. I, I thought that was very great for Saru to show some compassion. And he didn't force Michael to confront Tyler when she wasn't ready to. And yeah. he seemed I, a little shocked, I think, that she didn't want to see him. Like she didn't he didn't quite understand her reticence to to see him. He was like you, she said, is that an order? Because he's like, hey, we're going to go see Tyler now. And she's like, do I have to? <laughs> yeah, but but he didn't he didn't force her to. And, and that's the important part. Like, because when I was watching that scene again, uh, when she walked off, he kind of gave like like a slight nod, like, OK, I, I get it. And I thought that was very nice of Saru to consider her feelings in the matter so yeah it, it was really cool that because he could have at that point you know he, his interest is trying to make tyler better and he thought that seeing her would help him but at the same time if she's not there willingly that's not really going to help the process either so the fact that he recognized that and recognized that she needed this time to heal as well and was like okay no i'm not going to order you to yeah and then she's like not gonna do it not gonna do it wouldn't do it <laughs> And uh, Tyler doesn't have complete freedom on the ship, even though Saru says that he's not going to take away his freedom. He does have some kind of uh, monitoring device, like a it almost looks like an Apple Watch that a a nurse or a doctor put on his wrist. Yeah, he has a monitoring bracelet, basically. I'm sure that's so that they can, you know... You know, he can't get in, into any place with a black badge, even though we don't know what the hell that still means. Man, don't get me started on that. Oh, that was going to be my quantum state of flux if nobody can. <laughs> another one. I still have not seen the damn black badges. I swear if there's not a black badge or at least some reference to a black badge in this final episode, I'm going to lose my ever living crap. Because it, it I, I mean, not to get on a tangent, but. Really, it was the one thing from episode three that hasn't been addressed. And the fact that a character pointed out there was a clear shot close up of the black badge. It's like, all right, this this is one of the few dingling points that they haven't addressed. And it's like, what the hell is that? (laughs) Why? Why is there a guard? What's going on? Yeah, I, if they don't mention or explain the black badges in the finale, I will be taking to Twitter with a strongly worded tweet <laughs> directed <laughs> at the at the writers and producers saying, "What the crap, guys? Seriously, it better be a part of a cliffhanger at least, at the very least." Because obviously, this whole storyline was written with them not knowing for sure if they were going to get a second season. However, right. they so have known for long enough that they were renewed for a second season that they could have changed the ending to a cliffhanger if they'd wanted to. I kind of hope they don't make it a big cliffhanger. Like I want to see this storyline complete. And then if they want to oh, give yeah. a teaser into whatever they're doing next season as a cliffhanger, great. But I hope that they complete this first and don't leave us hanging because then I'll be like, wait a minute, did they have a complete story and they just chose not to use it or were they always betting on season two to tell this story? It's hard to tell because they literally only have one episode left to wrap up this story. And I, I wonder how they're going to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're back on the bridge and then all of a sudden they detect a Federation ship coming in. Yeah, everybody's all happy. Like, Oh sweet. Hail them. Do it. Yeah. Hey. All right. 
Yay, Federation. Here's another thing. Why is it all the time in this show that ships are suddenly sneaking up on them? Don't they have long-range sensors? You would think that if it was a Federation ship, they should be able to detect it easily. Unless the other Federation ship is specifically trying to mask any signals and not broadcasting anything, no transponder signal, you know. Which, in a time of war, especially when you're losing, you wouldn't be broadcasting, hey, everybody, look where I am, because you never know when that cloaked Klingon ship is going to pop out of nowhere and kill you dead. So I'm okay with that part of it, because while they're in warp, if they're not broadcasting a transponder signal of some sort, they shouldn't be able to be easily detected. But detect them, they did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was they came out of warp and we're approaching them and that's when they're like, Oh, Hey, you know, or they got close enough to, to where even without any additional, you know, whatever they, they got them when they were, you know, less than a minute away from the ship. They, they started to <laughs> pick him up. And so we got a boarding party that beams onto the discovery. Admiral Cornwell gives this command that shuts down the whole ship and Sarek forcibly mind melds with Saru. Like, I don't know what's what's with Spock's family and, like, you know, mind, mind raping people, but wow, here we yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's funny when you go back and watch Enterprise and you see how shunned the practice was at one point at all. Right. And the idea that not only was it shunned in general, but to force it on somebody was, like, the ultimate in in a crime and then you know you watch tos and spock's just mind melding with damn near everything (laughs) he's like here's this rock i'm gonna i'm gonna just see if i can mind meld with i'm just gonna see we'll see what happens you know you never know you never know that was the great thing of why i liked uh enterprises like vulcan two-parter in the four season was because they took away that stigma that Mm -hmm. uh, about mind melding so anywho but yeah sarek was all like up in Saru's grill, just and man, Doug Jones uh, can like really act through those prosthetics because it was just like you could see Saru like kind of freaking out, like with his eyes closed, like what the hell's going on here? <laughs> right. What I thought was really cool about that scene is that we get that almost identical look from Sarek after he finishes mind melding with Saru and finding out about all that just happened to the discovery, as we got from Mirror Sarek when he mind melded with burnham that shocked like bewildered like if you were to tell me this i literally wouldn't believe you but since i just pulled it from your mind i know it's true <laughs> like that shock looked like holy crap and then he turns to Cornwall, mm-hmm. like they have been through something that you are not going to believe <laughs> but here's my question to you guys it it seemed like they were acting like they already knew about the mirror universe because they're like oh where's kevin Lorca?" and we got to mind meld and find out what's really going on. And blah. so it felt like they knew about the mirror universe, but they didn't. And maybe it was just because they thought that the original discovery was destroyed, but I don't know. It felt like they were already somehow knew about the mirror universe. Cause they used the same technique that the mirror Sarek did to tell the truth was with the mind meld. So I thought that was kind of interesting too, but what do you guys think about that? I didn't get the impression that they already knew about the mirror universe. I just got the impression that they were being overly diligent because of the varying tactics that the Klingons have been using. Oh, so like, like they could all they, be 
They could all be Klingons in disguise. Yeah, or that the whole, you know, because Cornwall said she literally saw the remains of the Discovery. Um, and so when all of a sudden the Discovery is back, it's like, wait a minute, where did this, you know, she didn't know where the ship came from. She, you know, in this time of war, you're going to assume the worst, especially when the war is going this badly. So I just felt that they were just acting it over, you know, with an overabundance of caution, because mm-hmm. as far as they know, the discovery doesn't exist anymore. So for it to just pop out of nowhere, seemingly perfectly intact, you know, barely a scratch on her, it's like, wait a minute, what the heck? And that's why they're like, okay, we find out first if they're, you know, we go in, we take control. And I think that's part of what the command authorization thing was, was to test. You know, she came in there, spouted the the command code, and you could see her even relax just a little bit after the command took because then she realized, okay, this is a Federation ship. You know, if the Klingons built this ship, they wouldn't have put that command code in it. They wouldn't have known. So she knew, like, okay, this is actually a Federation ship, but the same time she's still like but i've seen the discovery destroyed so what the heck yo <laughs> um and the fact that saru's in the captain's chair not lorca you know because she has no idea what's going on so you know she's looking for her, her lover boy lover boy but she she did say my lorca or my gabriel which was yeah. like i was like whoa hello yeah, she took out her anger on that uh, bowl of fortune cookies <laughs> I love the disruptor effects. Oh yeah, so that well, it, that was pretty cool. It's kind of like Bernie floaty ash kind of stuff. It, yeah. it, it's really cool looking. Yeah, it's, it's definitely cool. Uh, I pretty much agree with uh, what Mister Dewey said about the the boarding party's reaction to okay. uh, the discovery that. Uh, they were just like, what the heck is this? Uh, I don't think Mary Universe was what popped in their head first. I, I would imagine it was like the Klingons or even another faction besides the Klingons might be trying to infiltrate the Federation while they're mm. at their weakest, essentially. Yeah, like I said, just acting out of an overabundance of caution. They just want to make sure that everything was on the up and up before they started any kind of friendly overtures. Because they saw, as soon as the mind meld was over and Sarek was like, yeah, they are who they say they are, and you are not going to believe this, um, <laughs> everything kind of chilled out. And then they cut from there to what we have to assume is uh, several hours of explanations later. <laughs> because And then we were here and here and then also here and then this happened. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, because they jumped to, you know, her shooting the bowl of fortune cookies, and, like, she was acting like she was mad at herself for not seeing it, and and Sarek points out, it's like, the idea that he was a replacement infiltrator from an alternate universe isn't exactly the most common thing <laughs> that you can be forgiven for not thinking of that possibility. But yeah, I, I do like that, you know, she's even mad that probably it's like, wow, I had sex with not even the Gabriel that I was in love with, but this twisted version. And that's why she was thinking, oh man, he's suffering from some severe post-traumatic stress when really he's just a psychotic a-hole. And, and now we know what those, uh, those marks on his back were too, were the agonizer, man, this whole show's crazy. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I do love the fact that although we obviously jump forward to after a lot of explanations have taken place, there is one thing that they haven't told Cornwell yet. Sarek would have had to have known 
about Giorgio because he did the mind meld with Sarek. And obviously that would have been like first and foremost, that, that like literally just happened. So I'm sure that would have been right in the front of, Sar- of Saru's mind. But uh, they wait until all of this is over before they're like, oh, uh, by the way, one more little detail we forgot. To <laughs> yeah, kind, kind of minor. Um, I just thought it was so interesting when they did meet Mirror Giorgio that they kept saying, oh, wow, yeah, the 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 resemblance is uncanny. And, oh, yeah, it's just like like they're still trying to wrap their mind around a mirror universe. Like, no, it's not that the resemblance is uncanny. It's literally them from another universe. Right. They just had Lorca there. Yeah. You fooled them. Yeah. I, I just thought the wording was was a little high. like, oh, the, the resemblance is uncanny. Well, like, yeah, no shit. Well, I mean, they might have been doing that to drop some breadcrumbs to the surprise reveal at the end of the episode. That's that's exactly yeah. right. They they were just laying the groundwork for what they ended up doing at the end of the episode. That that's all. That's the reason I think those lines were in there, especially the fact that it was repeated by both of them. I was like, okay, there's something. You know, even yeah. when I was the first time before I knew what they were doing, I said, I'm like, okay there's a reason they said this twice. Like they intend on using that resemblance as they say to their advantage in some way. Yeah. But I just, I just hate the holding the audience's hand like that and telegraphing stuff. Uh, That was, yeah, I I agree. It wasn't necessary. We all know that she looks exactly like Giorgio. That's the point. I mean, like (laughs) at this point it was a mirror universe. Like the fact that, it just makes you guys sound dumb like you're just catching up with it. You know, like, like you <laughs> right. still haven't wrapped your head around this whole thing, even though we literally just told you all about it. You know, we're not saying they look a little bit like us. They literally are us. It's just it's an alternate timeline or universe or however you want to put it. It's just somehow an offshoot that for from some quirk of technology or science or something, this is the universe that we've broken through to. You know, there could be hundreds of millions of other alternate universes out there for every decision we make. You know, the the multiverse theory says that for every decision that's made by anyone at any time, another universe is started. So there's billions upon billions of alternative universes, and this one is the one we keep going back to. (laughs) (laughs) That just means we have some sort of connection to this universe, whether, you know, however it was formed, you know, we have some sort of connection. And... You know, maybe it is the the way the universe resonates. Maybe there's something about the way their universe resonates that makes it accessible. That and that's be- why that's why so many similar events happen between the universes. Like so many similar choices, they yeah. just do so, differently. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could you could weave uh, a million different tales to to put it all together. But bottom line is, they are us. We are them. It's not a resemblance. It is literally the same person. <laughs> Indeed. We learn that the war is going very badly for the Federation. I think it was like 20% of Federation space is occupied at this point. Yeah, this nine months. like 20% of Federation space is occupied. Ugh. And then they also mentioned that a third of the fleet had been destroyed. I couldn't tell. I Even after rewatching it, I couldn't 100% tell if she meant that a third of the fleet was destroyed in that one attack she was talking about. Or if she meant that with that attack, the total 
of destruction came to a full third of the fleet. I think, I think it might be the total of the war. That's kind of what I thought too. But the way it, she tacked it on to the end of talking about one particular attack, it oh, almost sure. made me think that it's like, oh wait a minute, was that? Did they lose a third of the entire fleet in one attack? Like that's bad. But no, I, I think I think the same as you that that's the total she's talking about. That that attack was just you know that was what pushed them to a third of the fleet being lost. Right. But still a big number. That's still a lot of ships being lost, and that's bad. And we learn that the houses are no longer united, and they're fighting. Uh, for themselves, basically trying to gain notoriety within each other to try to take over each yeah. other by seeing who can conquer more Federation space. Yeah, And I think that makes sense because, you know, after the destruction of the sarcophagus ship and uh, Kor, who was, you know, aligning all of the houses to do his bidding you know, under the guise of Takuvma, it makes sense. Like, with their destruction, yeah, the Klingon empires are just like, F it, we're in for ourselves, all the houses. I was like, literally to the surprise of no one other than Laurel, because right. had, with Takuvma, they had an actual leader who was trying to unite them as a species, and, you know, while his rhetoric was BS, it was still something that they could cling to, and, you know, it was uh, more true. I think than anything else to them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he was gone and they had core who people were like, yeah, I'll swear my allegiance because you've got the cloak and you'll only get <laughs> the cloak if I swear allegiance to you. So once they had the cloak, it did not surprise me at all that that allegiance right. went away, especially once core was gone. Like at that point, it's like, okay, yeah, all bets are off. They already have the tech. They don't have anybody they're beholden to for it anymore. They can do whatever the heck they want. So it did not surprise me at all that this this is how the the Empire had devolved into these factions. So Giorgio summons Sarek, and then they kind of brag, almost compete against who raised the better Michael. <laughs> That's <laughs> that pretty was funny. A little, little interesting. Um, yeah, this actually happened later in the episode. It happened just before uh, they, you know, this is this is where we kind of find out that Sarek and the Federation higher ups are willing to uh, do something because this is the scene where where she actually tells them, like, "Listen, I only gave you half the story about how we're gonna, how you can defeat the Klingons because I don't think she can handle the real deal, but you can because you're cooler, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what she <laughs> Sarek is going to be able to handle it better than, than Burnham was, but evidently he did because they're going for it. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the little competition, little snarks between them about, like, well, my Burnham did this. Oh, yeah, well, my Burnham did this. Oh, yeah, well, your Burnham did this. Oh, yeah, well, your Burnham. It's like, okay, guys, calm down. <laughs> Only one of them's left at this point, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> that we know of dun 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 <laughs> oh sugar that's right Mira Burnham's body was never found so well neither was Prime Lorca dun 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 <laughs> they did just kind of the way they said you know she's like yeah there's no way that a lone Starfleet officer could survive in that universe I'm sure he's dead and then okay we're moving on we're not talking about it again it leaves the door open for sure you know, especially knowing what we know of Lorca and the fact that he is, you know, even the our universe Lorca is still a smart guy and 
you know, able to, he, he's, he's a survivor and I'm a survivor. possibility, <laughs> uh, you know, depending on how the story goes that maybe he did manage to find a, find a hole to crawl into and, and kind of ride out the last two years while trying to figure out a way. Cause that's, that's what I think he was doing. if he survived Here's... the initial transfer, he'd been, he'd have been trying to figure out a way home. Here's another thing, like the, the that you brought up, like because Prime, oh no, never mind, because like two years if he crossed over earlier, but I was under the impression that the brand destruction was because of the Klingon War, and that hasn't been going on for two years. Yeah, it 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 raises some questions, because but they they made a point to say that Mirror Lorca had been in our universe for one year, two hundred and something days. So nearly two years. Yeah, but I don't know. And he said he that it was the destruction of the brand that created the transfer. I mean, it could have been a, a skirmish with the Klingons. It might not have been part of the war. But then, or it could have no, been. Something. But no, it couldn't. It couldn't have been before the war because, you know, they were saying that there wasn't really any contact with the Klingons before that. Just a few skirmishes, but. You know, a destruction of a starship is more than a skirmish. We'll have to look at the the timeline because, you know, we also know that we're not seeing Lorca for the first time until uh, several months after the Battle of the Binary Stars when the war officially starts. You know, how long had Michael been in custody before getting to discovery? I'm, I'm looking at Memory Alpha, USS Baran was one month into the Federation Klingon War, the Baran was ambushed and boarded by Klingons. So this is one month into the war. So, but, okay, so how long into the war? Because I remember they said something, you know, when she was kept, how many people had died. Didn't they say also how long the war had actually been going on at that point? Anywho. Yeah, no, it's... You got me flexing, Eric. (laughs) <laughs> I, I wish the writers would just be consistent with like warp and dates and g- give me a consistent timeline here. Anywho, <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to draw something up and post it up on uh, Facebook or Twitter or something. Be like, okay, here's what we think and see if anybody can help fill in the gaps. So uh, we also have a moment, probably one of the best acted scenes, I think, on the show thus far. And that's saying something because one of the things that I have been just absolutely raving about this entire series is the acting. But we see a moment between Tyler and Stamets as they, they kind of bump into each other in the hallway as he's going in to, to have some lunch. And it was just an absolutely phenomenal moment. That, that moment between Tyler and Stamets where they bump into each other and Tyler is visibly shaken and he's like, you know, I'm sorry, oh, yeah. and I know that there are no words. Your words aren't enough. There's nothing I can say. And Stamets is like, does it break you up? Does it Does it hurt you? Does it gut you? And Tyler's like, yeah. And Stamets is like, good. Maybe you are human after all. And walks off, and it's just like, okay. So the, the groundwork is laid for the possibility of forgiveness even from Stamets. But it's definitely not happened yet. <laughs> Which I wouldn't expect it to, but the fact that the groundwork is there, uh, you know, gives me hope because I think that that's one of the biggest hurdles that he would have to overcome to coming back from this type of thing is 
forgiveness from certain people, and Stamets definitely one of those people. Burnham obviously the other one. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But this this moment between those two, and just the pain on both of their faces, and Stamets especially, you know, just him going from from anger to sadness back to anger and back, you know, just like you could tell all of these conflicting emotions in him while still, you know, somewhat understanding that, you know, you could tell that he knows in his head that this is not the person that's responsible for it, but it still is the person who's responsible for it. So it's, I I just thought it was beautifully acted between the two of them. I thought it was a fantastic scene and definitely the, the best best acted scene I've seen in TV in a long time. And I, I really have to give praise once again to Shazid uh, Latif, who plays uh, Ash Tyler slash Voke, because I swear he can pull off these emotional scenes really well. And I really want this guy to win some kind of award for the work that he's doing on Discovery, because it makes Ash Tyler such an interesting character and journey that is not, I don't think is going to stop at season one. There's, there's no way. So I'm very much looking forward to how this is all going to play out. Even though parts of it were predictable, I, I think the, the acted journey that Shazid Latif is delivering is amazing. What a phenomenal actor, truly. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And then something that happens once Tyler gets into the mess hall, the crew is pretty much accepting of him, and I'm not sure if I would be as accepting. They weren't right away, though. It was a moment. It was very, very similar to the first time that Burnham walked in Yes, to the mess hall when she was still in her prison gear, and everybody's like, oh. We're going to stop talking and stare at the newbie. And it was kind of the same thing. Everybody got quiet. Everybody was like, oh, geez, what do we do? And he went and he sat by himself. And just like with Burnham, Tilly was the one who said, you know what? Forget all this. I'm going to go over and sit with them. And he was even like, you don't have to do this. Like, you're possibly sacrificing your own social status to sit here with me. And Mm -hmm. instead, you know. It, it worked. You know, they saw Tilly go over and sit down with them, and they said, you know what? If she can do it, we can do it too. And then Detmer comes over, and, you know, everybody's all, like... All the other bridge crew guys that we really need to learn their names of. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And I really love the comm officer, uh, and I have no idea what his name is, but I, I just love... No, he's he, he's a he's a chill dude. I, yeah. I really want season two... To be more about the actual bridge crew. I'm sure it will be. And I just, okay, I I don't want to get into season two predictions. I just want more of like (laughs) that exploring Starfleet feel. I'm I'm kind of full of my war quotia in in Star Trek for a bit, so. Yeah, I hope it's a one season thing as far as the war is concerned and we can get back to some exploration and... Because I love love when they went to Pavo. I thought that was awesome. That that felt like, oh yeah, we're doing exploring and and Star Trek-y away team stuff. And I want to see more of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and Sarek and Tilly basically tell Burnham that she needs to accept her feelings for Tyler. And that it's okay to love. 
But can you really love someone who almost killed you and is part Klingon? I mean, even if you're a Federation person, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch for anyone. Yeah, and there are a lot of layers there, because her parents were killed by Klingons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how could we forget that? I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. So, it's going to be really tough. She is going to be the hardest one for him to win back over, if at all possible. And as of, you know, as it's left in this episode, we're left to believe it's not possible that she has completely blocked him out. I don't know if that's permanent or not. We'll see. But what a breakup scene in Star Trek. Oh, man. Like, ouch. Another phenomenally acted scene by both people. I mean, you just, you have this, you can see the conflict within them. This is, this is what makes me, like, so excited to watch this show is the fact that these actors make you feel it. And, you know, she's conflicted. She doesn't go in there with just a, hey, uh, you suck and I don't want to see you again attitude. She goes <laughs> in there, like, seriously conflicted, and you can see that. You know, she does still love him, or at least she recognizes that she did love him. But at the same time, she's like, but I've seen what you can be, and how Ooh. do I know that's never going to come back? When she's talked about his eyes and that, she yeah. could only see Voke's eyes, and I was just like, "Oh man, that's so creepy." Yeah, that yeah, that whole that whole speech where she's talking about, you know, it was your hands I felt around my throat. Right. It, was, it was your eyes I was staring into when you were trying to kill me, and now when I look at your eyes, I can only see his eyes, and it's like, oh dang, you know, it's like that is not good for you know. Obviously, she's got to do what she's got to do, but that does not help him at all. Oh, no, like, absolutely not. He's hurt and bad by all the things that that this alternate personality of his has done that he literally had no control over. He he fought it as long as he could. And he tries to tell her, he's like, I, I shouldn't be me right now. I should be an activated Klingon agent, but I wasn't because I fell in love with you, which is it's another the thing. power of love. I, I do want to point out, I predicted that a while back. I think if you go back to many, many episodes ago, we talked about if Tyler is Voke and Voke is Tyler, then the reason that it's not going to take properly is because he's in love with Burnham. <laughs> so score one for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like that is going to, that's the one person he needs to be forgiven by. And the fact that she's withholding that right now, I mean, I'm not saying that she should necessarily forgive him just automatically but i think that's going to hurt his progress his healing more than anything else which is uh, a reason that i'm making the prediction that i'm going to make later on oh so starbase one oh which we'll, we'll, we'll get to I, I put a little side note in here because oh. they mentioned its proximity to certain things We'll get to we'll get to that later, but uh, yeah, Starbase. That's one, my that's my quantum state of flux. <laughs> Starbase One has been seized by the Klingons, but not the Klingon Empire specifically by House Degore. Cornwell does not take this well. No, at all. Like all up until this point, she's still, you know, she's obviously been war ravaged. She's obviously tense. She's obviously uptight. She's obviously like in this battle mode. When she sees Starbase One with that Klingon crest painted on it, she breaks. You literally yeah. see her break. And again, credit to the actress in this scene because you see the moment that she's just like, 
This is this is the last straw. This is the reason I think that we get to the ending we get. Because I don't think all up until this point, I still don't think there was enough to push her to be willing to go to the extreme that they go to. This is the straw that breaks her back. This is the, the moment that any possibility becomes something that could be done. Yeah. Especially when she goes to Laurel and is like you know what what does it take what do your people want oh and And i love that those two got to connect again because i love the laurel and and cornwell scenes those are great oh absolutely yeah they face off again and you know she walks into the into the brig and laurel is like oh you're still alive congratulations (laughs) like like hey good job yeah, she even gives her a compliment later. She's like, Takuvma told us that humans are not brave and they have no courage. And I know that to not be true now because I've met you. And then, you right. know, Cornwell is like, hey, what do your people want? What does it take? You know, do we need, you know, if we surrender, if we, you know, what do we need to do to end this war? And Laurel point blank tells her, there's nothing you can do. Either conquer us or we're going to kill you. That's it. And I love the fact that when she says that, it's like something clicks inside Cornwell, and she's like, okay, that's what I needed to hear. And she literally <laughs> turns on her heel and walks out the room, and we, we move on to uh, phase two here. <laughs> but yeah, that scene is definitely fantastic between the two of them. Good stuff, just absolutely. The, the acting, again, Laurel, Mary Shifa, being able to act through all that makeup and prosthetics, and just... Mm-hmm. Ah, just still portraying this air of Klingon confidence, even though she's still in a cell and, you know, still a prisoner of the Federation. But she knows that she is Klingon and that's all that matters. Right. Remain Klingon. We have Michael going to Giorgio for information on how to defeat the Klingons, because I guess the Terrans have done it. In the Mary universe. Yeah, she she mentions that uh, the Terrans have conquered space that the Federation has not even explored yet. So uh, we know the Klingons are conquered. We take stand to reason that possibly the Romulans have been conquered. So she knows that they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's going to be tactics that they're willing to employ under normal circumstances, that's another question. Oops, sorry. Oh. <laughs> Everything okay? Yeah, no, just have my phone fall because I'm a klutz. Stop playing timelines. Um, you can't (laughs) prove that's what I'm doing. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. I know you're addicted. So they amass this plan to spore jump into a subterranean cave. That's big enough to hold a freaking starship. The size right. of, of the Discovery. Starship, no less, which we we know is way bigger even than the Constitution classes and uh, yeah. else that's out there right now. We know that this is probably the biggest ship they've got that's not some sort of transport. <laughs> yeah, it's an yeah. interesting plan. I mean, they use the, the knowledge that Giorgio is able to produce you know, just off the top of her head. And right. somehow that's enough to map the caves, but not enough to map the planet which is why they need to jump into the cave so they can send out a drone to map the planet because they supposedly need to find the quote-unquote military targets and this is when you know uh Giorgio and Sarek are talking and she's like you know that's not going to work by itself right. you know after you know she she says you know chronos in my world 
is little more than a blackened husk. You know, she's like, we destroyed that planet, basically. Like, that's how you bring the Klingons down is by destroying their homeworld. It's going to be interesting to see where they go with this because we have essentially Cornwell and uh, Sarah kind of dealing behind Michael's back and everybody else's back making these plans. When when Cornwell's kind of describing the plan to the bridge crew and she says, you know, no one's been to Kronos since almost a hundred years ago when Captain Archer and the NX-01 and literally when I was watching this live, I, I like fist pumped. I was like, <laughs> yes, yes. Freaking broken bow reference. Booyah. Like I was just like, yeah, I, I love it. I love that. At least they have their continuity, but I feel like they have their continuity right in some places more than others. <laughs> I mean, that's that's they just my gripe. But choose. they do pick and choose, and I yeah. think sometimes they just like to throw the fans a bone, which I'm I'm sure the the Archer mention was literally fan service, which I'm fine with because I'm fine I'm with. And you can service me all you want. <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? That's right, Stamets spores. Grow some spores, <laughs> and. The visual effects for this were amazing. And did you guys watch the Falcon Heavy thing this week? Yes. Yep. So it was so cool that they had in Discovery, they had these rockets that, you know, landed on this planet with these struts. And they also looked like the side boosters that landed. This whole scene was just amazing visual effects. Like, I love the fact that they teased us in the preview with the scene of these rockets leaving the discovery. And, you know, in the preview, we're expected to believe this is some sort of assault on a Klingon case or something like that. But it turns out that what they're actually doing is growing a planet full of spores to fuel the spore drive for this other plan. So that is uh, pretty damn cool. My only gripe is that this took almost no time to do, which I think it would have taken a lot longer than because they're like, oh, yeah, we, we got to terraform it. And then, yeah, the magic mushrooms grow in, like, five minutes. Right. <laughs> Despite it being shortened for time, I think the effects were spectacular. Oh, we should have talked about that in the news. Um, the spaceman guy. How cool is it that a freaking car is in orbit right now? Yeah, it's oh! on its way to the asteroid belt. Did you guys see someone took a screenshot of Voyager when they had that car in the cargo yeah. bay from the 37s, <laughs> and they yeah. put the Tesla into it. I thought that was effing brilliant. I saw someone did the whole gif from when they're, like, detecting the rust in space, and then they show it on the <laughs> screen, and it's the Tesla. Like, that was pretty badass. That was pretty funny. Oh, my God. Uh, that's life imitating art. So let's talk about the big reveal of the episode. So I didn't see this coming. I don't know about you guys. Did did you either of you see this coming? I didn't know that they were going to do this. It didn't even cross my mind that they right. were in this way. Like, I, I knew that they were going to use her tactics and, you know, possibly uh, give up on some Federation uh, morals in order to try to win this war. Right. And that she would be a part of that. Yeah, but to, to, but, to BS and say... Oh yeah, we we rescued this prisoner from the Klingons, and hey, look, everyone, it's your old captain. 
How's yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, when she walks out there with her hair up in the ponytail, and I was like, what? Because they showed her from the back, and you saw the ponytail. Yep. Like, oh, my God, that's Giorgio. Like, what are they doing? Like, what? Oh, my. What? And then she's, you know, she's given the, you know, Cornwell's given the speech. Oh. Saying, Our long lost Captain Philippa Giorgio was recently recovered from a Klingon prison ship, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, the the best part of that scene is the looks between Saru and Burnham. <laughs> but De- Demer was like, OMG, it's my old captain. And it's yeah, like, really? like oh, hey, yeah. I have to say, though, if you watch that scene, uh, Lieutenant Greathair does not look convinced. She oh, was... Lieutenant Greathair. <laughs> I can't say her name any more than you can, Eric. So, uh, Okashunku. <laughs> oh, snap. Oh, 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 oh. Somebody's, somebody's been practicing. Uh, Oka, Okashunku. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not even going to try. But yeah, like, me and my wife, like, looked at each other. We're like, oh, shit. Like, they're really doing this. Yeah. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're, they're doing this fake out. Yeah, it, it definitely was uh, a shock moment, um, you know, especially with Saru and Burnham on the bridge there, you know, everybody else. It was great in the moment. But when I started thinking about it later, I had some issues. We'll talk about that. Why don't we talk about it now? All right, let's talk about it now. So my overall thoughts on the episode. This wasn't necessarily my favorite episode. However, I do feel it was necessary to kind of tie everything together that we've seen thus far. It was a lot of talk, a lot of dialogue in this episode, not a lot of action. I mean, the, the scene, literally the biggest action were those heavy rockets, uh, you know, sp- sporinating the... Uh, the planet there. But that's okay. I like that. Because <laughs> sporn hating. But that's okay because, again, this is a tie together episode. This is kind of bringing all of these assorted things that have been happening, except for the black badges, together and kind of melding them. So I'm okay with that. It's just not one that this is the only episode that I've only watched twice. Every other I watched three times minimum. This is the only one I've only seen twice. Although I will watch it again this weekend because I'm going to do a full rewatch tomorrow and Saturday while at work leading up to Sunday's finale. Um, oh, nice. But even that without the action and such, the acting on display was once again absolutely top tier across mm-hmm. the board. Everybody mm-hmm. in this episode was phenomenal in their acting. And so, you know what? Like I said, not my favorite, but I'm not complaining in that respect. Now, as to the the big reveal, I I really feel that most people on Discovery, the the actual crew, should be able to put two and two together here. You know, yes, the knowledge that that Michael actually brought Emperor Giorgio on board is limited just to the people who are in the transporter room. But the entire ship knew that they were in a mirror universe. The entire ship knew that there were possibly mirrors of themselves and other people. I have to believe that the majority of Starfleet trained personnel, people who are supposedly the best and the brightest would be able to be like, Hey, wait a minute. This seems awfully convenient timing for somebody we thought was long lost to suddenly Mm -hmm. be back right after we just came back from a mirror universe. I I feel that the crew of the Discovery should know better. And that's, I'm hoping, where they're going with the reason you're like, that Detmer looks happy, but Lieutenant Greathair is not quite convinced. Like, I'm hoping that they tie that in and, like, there's some people being like, I don't think she's George. I don't think she's our Giorgio. Maybe they brought, you know, I hope there's murmurs, at least. I hope there's something. Or at least thinking that this is what's going on. But do you think this kind of sets up a way for Giorgio to 
to die in this finale and to give her name better standing in the universe. And and that's another thing, like, because you would think that the crew from the Shenzhou, like Detmer, I, I don't know if I would buy the Klingon prisoner story for nine months to a year, and they already skipped ahead. I mean, even Ash Tyler came out of that, like, pretty effed up. <laughs> So yeah, there's no. all these questions that the crew should be like, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, like, is Giorgio another sleeper agent <laughs> if she was captured by the Klingons? Right. Like, that might be the first thing I think about if I don't immediately think that she's a mirror or a Terran Right, but but, but, but that's, <laughs> that's two excuses to not trust her. But everyone's kind of like, oh, ooh. like like Detmer. I was like, Detmer, come on. Don't look so happy there. Use your brain for a little bit. Yeah, but would you doubt what a superior officer tells you is the truth? After In all, a wartime situation? Absolutely. Right now? Yeah. I would be questioning everything. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Like I said, I think most likely they either kill Giorgio or send her home somehow. I don't think that Mirror Giorgio stays in our universe for very long. Somehow, I think she's wrapped up. Yeah. So I don't even consider that one of my predictions necessarily. I just I think that's what they have to do with the story because, right. you know, the fact that yes, they're burying all knowledge of this Mirror Universe that has to include any actual people from the Mirror Universe that exist in ours. So either they work something into where, oh, they recreate the the situation where Giorgio where where uh Lorca transferred over or they use the spore drive to send her home or she dies and something or they just kill her, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think I think this this away team mission or whatever when they're going to Kronos, I think she's gonna kick the bucket and then Starfleet will say, Oh wow, she was such a hero. Great job. She was even more of a hero than we originally thought. Yay. Well, and now they have a body to bury. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because the other one was <laughs> the other one. Uh, because she's right in the middle of the Star Trek Discovery food chain. Because <laughs> <laughs> it goes Klingons, Giorgio, uh, Saru. That's the the, the food chain <laughs> of <Discovery>. Right. <laughs> So I think the first giveaway that to the crew is that she's going to have to use the same eye drops that Lorca used, right? Oh, snap. They better work that in, because if they made up this whole light sensitivity thing and then don't make her do it, I'm going to be pissed. Small little detail like that, I really will. Her, her quarters were darkened that she was staying in. Yeah. But overall, for my thoughts of the episode, I actually like this episode better than some of the Mirror Universe ones. I just thought it was nice to take a breather from craziness of the Mirror Universe and find out what was going on when they were gone. Uh, we see some more connections to the timeline and more personal moments for different members of the crew and kind of all these relationships that have been building on in the season because this season's been such a roller coaster. So I like that there wasn't a lot of action in this episode. And since it is the penultimate episode leading up to the finale, this is kind of like the calm before the storm because the preview for next week looks freaking insane. It looks absolutely amazing. And not just the preview, but uh, the little clip they showed us on oh, the track as well. There was so much shade throwing. <laughs> it was awesome. 
what are your thoughts? So overall, I I thought it was a decent episode. I kind of wish more happened in the episode because it doesn't seem like they can wrap it up in the next episode. <laughs> right. It is going to be a challenge. I'm really hoping it's an extended episode. Like we get a couple hours or at least like an hour and a half of actual show. Like, yeah, like 90 minutes worth of show would well, be awesome. I would love an hour and a half. Cause it would make up for that really short episode <laughs> that we had. <laughs> right. Like there's your time right there. Just give us more. And I don't know about you guys, but when they did the preview clip and there was like all these like alien dancers in a bar and stuff, (laughs) I totally got, again, a broken bow feel when Enterprise Mm. went to the Rogelian station and there was like the dancers and all that stuff. I totally got an Enterprise feel from that preview. Which is a good thing, I'm saying. Right, and we also see Burnham not in... It looks like it's not uh, sorry, Starfleet clothes that she's in while she's on the bridge. I don't know what she was wearing. So that kind of relates to, like, if yeah. they had to go to a an alien bar and had to blend in for some reason, even though they're going to Kronos. They gotta have bars on Kronos. I mean, with all the blood... <laughs> but not with humans uh, chilling there. No, no, definitely not. That ha- yeah, that has to be someplace else. Because if that's on Kronos, it's like, wait a minute, what? Now, wouldn't wouldn't <laughs> that be amazing if that was Rigel and that completely ties in the Enterprise? That would just be icing on the cake for me. Rigel, or what was that? Um, that base. Ooh, or an Orion planet. Orion, yeah. Or what was that base that was in Star Trek Three? Uh, oh, um. Uh, the the Paradise Planet. No, 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 no. Oh, that so was Star Trek Three. I'm just thinking of Five, which no yeah. one should ever think about. Yeah, don't think of that. <laughs> what were you thinking? Star Trek Five. Five. I, I, I'm sorry. I just, I, I'm racking my brain. I can't recall Star Trek. Went five. from four to six. I, I don't they know what. Straight from four to six, didn't they? I, I could have. Do seen. you know if they have Cybok in timelines? I do. I have Cybok. Oh, they do. I, I have Cybok. Okay. I have Cybok, yes. So someone thinks of him. Wow. Um, (laughs) uh, Do you guys have any predictions uh, for the next episode? Yes. I predict that this is going to be a big, giant magic mushroom reset, and that there will be no deaths, and the damage to the Federation will undo itself. I I don't know. I think, because we still haven't addressed the mycelial network being used again in Star Trek, I mean, they just they just now in this episode grew a whole freaking planet of these things. So th- we know they're now not hurting for a supply. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just I think it's going to be something with these magic mushrooms. And the episode before this, we had that single spore that landed on Tilly. Like, there's just... I don't know. They're trying to make these magic mushroom spores the the big MacGuffin of this story. And I have a prediction that I just have a feeling that they're going to hit some kind of reset button somehow. How far back do you think they'll go? Do you think they'll bring the Lorca switch? Do you think they'll, they'll use this as an excuse to bring back Lorca? Nope. I think that they'll go exactly nine months back. And so the mirror discovery will still be destroyed and that the Federate, like all those deaths in the nine months, because think about it. It's not like in the original series, you were like, 
oh man, 10 years ago, man, they really carved out 20% of the Federation. <laughs> like, I, I, I just never got that sense. And yes, they were, war- they were still dealing with the Klingons and hostilities with the Klingons, but it wasn't like, oh man, those bastards really tore a new one into us for a whole year. Like, At what point did we get the decades of war that uh, Picard talked about? Because according to Picard, a disastrous first contact with the Klingon led to decades of war. When We don't talk about that. No, see, (laughs) my, my whole thing with that is I think we saw the disastrous first contact in Enterprise. And that means that this whole hundred years there's been conflict. Just like they said in, you know, Battle of the Binary Stars where... Yeah, the the Klingons have been kind of isolationist, but they've still, like, made border crossings and, and did some terrorist things. You know, they killed Michael's parents, and I'm sure her parents weren't the only ones that died in that attack. So I, I think, yeah, there's you can consider that decades of hostilities easily. A- adding on top of that what's going on here in, in Discovery, but still... It's not like in in the original series, it's like, yeah, Klingons were bad, but it wasn't like 20% of the Federation bad. Like, that's like Dominion War type stuff. So I think we're going to get a partial reset. You know, they'll jump back to that nine months, give the, the cloaking algorithm out there, and they'll undo the deaths and, and destruction. Because like... Cornwell said they're literally on on Earth's back door, and I'll get to that in the <laughs> flux. Because literally, even, they're they're like right there. Oh, they're even closer than they know. Okay, but, all right. I I think that there's going to be some kind of spore related reset. All right, uh, Mr. Dewey. Uh, my prediction <clears throat> is that Tyler bites it in this episode, and cool. specifically. I think he's going to go out in some sort of what I call a heroic suicide. He's going to do something that he knows is going to get him killed, but it's going to be to save either Michael or the Discovery or both. Yeah, it's going to be something that only he can do and that, you know, he knows going into it. Yeah, it, it's going to be something that he's going to betray the Klingons specifically to save Michael or to save the Discovery with Michael on it, obviously. It's going to be for Michael some way shape or form and it's going to be something where he knows not just he does something dangerous and he happens to get killed but where he does something that you know he's going to die like he knows going into it that he's going to die and he does it anyway to save her that's that's my prediction that that uh i think burnham's going to make it through this episode i think we're going to see her in season two but i think tyler bites it in this episode that's my prediction i see so uh my prediction the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one I think Burnham will either die doing something heroic like like you think Tyler would do, or there's going to be a cliffhanger, and we don't know... Ex- it, like, the basic story will be wrapped up, but there'll be some kind of cliffhanger where we don't know the fate of Burnham. Mm. I, I, can see, I can see both of those happening for sure. I think there's going to be some big stakes thing. And the reason I worry about Burnham, which I'm citing more toward your prediction, Aaron, is because this is just like the Talking Dead for The Walking Dead. They always have a guest on the after show that dies or is connected to the show in some way. And... Sure enough, 
this coming Sunday on After Trek, we've got Sonequa Martin Green and Anthony Rapp. So, and uh, one of the things that kind of molded my my thoughts here is that Burnham says that the goodbye with her father felt it, different. Oh. And that would fit with the writers, like, telegraphing everything. Right. I, I heard that line, and I was like, really? Are you really going to do that? Come on. What I think... See, here's what the way I took that. <laughs> Sarek dies. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, just like, what was that? The director said, he's like, yeah, because next episode, Sarek bites. And I loved the look on Matt Myra's face when he said that. He was like, did, did you just say that? out Like, he didn't, like, <laughs> everybody knows that's not what's going to happen. But the fact that he just said it and kept a straight face for a good four or five seconds after the fact. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Everybody knows that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> what I think is that. Uh, Michael's going to do something or Sarek is going to do something that irrevocably interrupts their relationship so that that fine, that goodbye was final in that they won't ever speak to each other again after something that happens. And that's why in all of these years of Sarek in the, in other shows, we never hear mention of Michael because they are not speaking anymore. Or they haven't been speaking for, you know, throughout the rest of her life or whatever. So I think that either Sarek's going to do something that Michael cannot stand or Michael's going to do something that Sarek cannot stand for and uh, their relationship is going to be destroyed. Not that either one of them is as people is going to be destroyed, but the relationship is going to be destroyed. Oh, that's a good take. I guess uh, time will tell. But again, when they wrote this series, they had no idea if they were getting a season two or not. So nobody is safe. You can't look at anybody and be like, oh, they're the main character. They can't kill them. No, they did not know for sure they were getting a second season. So nobody is safe. Anybody can anybody can die here. Yeah, we've been saying that from the beginning. uh, Because when the show started, everyone started dropping like flies. So, Eric. Oh, man. I'm about to bust out some math, (laughs) y'all. So, I was watching this episode live, and Stamets was like, oh, yeah, like Starbase One is 100 AUs from Earth. And then Cornwell's like, well, you know, and the Discovery's only a light year away from Starbase One. And I'm like, what the fire planet are you talking about? Because calculator reels start turning in your head the little the little receipt well no because because we know we know how insignificant a light year is in star trek it's nothing and so when cornwall's like oh well we gotta use the spore drive you got more of those spores i'm like why warp can get you there pretty damn quickly and i i was just like what are we even doing and so i i actually looked it up today on google 100 AU. So Starbase 1 is 100 AUs from Earth. Yeah. 100 AU equals 0.00158 of a light year. <laughs> and literally, that that is still within Earth's or, or the solar system's like Oort cloud. Like, it's still in our galactic neighborhood. There's no freaking M-class planets out there that we know of, but still, even for Star Trek, that's like, really? That's where Starbase One is? It's like, that's not even a Starbase, that's like Earth Base One. Like, like really, it's it's bad. And then, and then Discovery is only, 
they're like, oh, well, we're only a light year away from Starbase One. Well, one light year equals 63,241 AU. So that whole sentence was just junk. Whatever Stamets <laughs> and Cornwell were saying yeah. is ridiculous in Star Trek. And it, it just doesn't make sense. And instantly that, that took me out of the episode for like a minute because I was like, do they really just say that? Cause that's, that's within the realm of Star Trek. That's just <laughs> BS. Just, and just so, for, uh, for reference. I also, uh, I did, I wanted to check something else out as of uh, February of last year. So as of one year ago, Voyager one was only 138 AU away from earth. Exactly. So it already passed the Oort cloud and is, is now into what they call intergalactic space, but still there's, there's no like ninth planet out there that looks like, cause the Starbase one, it looked like it was floating above an M class type planet. Yeah. I, some planet or a moon or something. I mean, it was definitely in orbit around something. Yeah. The, the, the spacing is bad. Know. It's horrible. <laughs> and so, yeah, they're like, oh, no, you know, House de Gore took over Starbase One. And it's like, well, they might as well be knocking on Earth's door at that point. Like, bring the whole fleet. So I, I was able to look on Memory Alpha for warp factors. Mm-hmm. So we all know that warp one is the speed of light in Star Trek. On Enterprise's warp scale, warp 4.5 was stated to be to take you from Neptune and back which is 59.86 AU in six minutes. Is that so the trip or is the 59.86 from, from Earth? It, it, it's a round trip because they say Neptune and back. Okay. Well, I, I just was wondering if the measurement, the, the 59.86 AU, if that was just from Earth to Neptune? Or I'm, I'm, I'm looking at memory alpha. So I, I assume they calculated the distance from Neptune and doubled it. It sounds right, just based on my, like, rudimentary understanding right. of the way the solar system works. It sounds, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that it's about 30 AU between here and Neptune, so that sounds right, but... <laughs> so even at, at, like, an average warp, they could get, like, 100 AU from Starbase 1 to Earth would be, like, a 12-minute trip in, in on warp 4.5, which is not a crazy warp. That's not, like, maximum warp or anything. That's, like, a standard cruising whatever. So, right there, like, Starbase 1, 100 AU from Earth? That, that's that's BS. <laughs> and then, uh-huh. for Cornwell to go, oh, maybe we'll use the spore drive. And it's like, but, but why? And then, oh, well, you know, Sarah, well, if we go to warp, oh, it's going to be treacherous because the Klingons are swarming the, con- the quadrant. It's like, if you're that close to Earth, then... The war's done because they they got Earth already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the fact that like they had obviously been there for long enough to not only kill every human there, but to also right. have painted their crest on the outside of the base. They uh, killed a, a two hundred something Klingons. Killed eighty thousand humans or Federation life signs, like whatever the hell a Federation life sign is, and anything that's not a Klingon, I guess. Right. But two hundred people to eighty thousand. Like that's that's insane. That's like that's like every Klingon killing someone like what four that's like every Klingon killing at least four hundred people. That's, that's insane. Crazy. Yeah. So that whole thing was just 
man, redub that or something to make it more dramatic because that's just wrong. <laughs> I, like your point and, still stands even without those examples. So I, uh, I yeah. literally think that they pulled some numbers out of their butt to make it more like dramatic. Because if you say a hundred light years, like they they could have said a hundred light years, like oh yeah, you know, man, that Starbase One, it's only fifty light years from Earth. Then I, as a Star Trek fan, I'd be like, man, that that is pretty close. Yeah. But when you say a hundred AU, that's Technically, in our solar system neighborhood, that's like <laughs> literally our backyard. So it's it was bad. That that totally took me out of the moment. Yep. I I always talk about those moments in TV shows and movies where they where they take you out of the story. It's one thing if you think about it after the fact and you're like, hey, wait a minute, you know, like with my gripe about the, you know, the, wait a minute, these people should be questioning this whole Giorgio thing because they know that they were just in a mirror universe. That didn't occur to me until after the episode had ended. It didn't take me out of the moment. It was something that thought that I thought of afterwards. This is something that if you're math minded at all could take you immediately out of the moment. So uh, I, I completely agree with you. It was uh, shoddy, shoddy math on the writer's part there. Yeah, and uh, Star Trek has had science advisors in the past. Get, get them back. Get them <laughs> back. That's all I have to say. That that was just a really bad line. Hire Elon Musk to tell you. He knows about these things. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess uh, that sums up our thoughts on this episode. So, Mister Dewey, yeah. if we were to look for you on the internet. Where would we go about doing that? On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Eric J. Dewey. Uh, much more active on Twitter, although, honestly, I've been playing uh, timelines too much. I am, have not been as active <laughs> on Twitter as I normally am. My, my phone time has been devoted to timelines lately. So uh, find me on timelines. I'm uh, Captain Sasquatch on timelines. Uh, join, join our uh, Starfleet, or what is it, the fleet? Starfleet Escape Podcast, yeah. Just search for us. You'll find us. We be there. And <laughs> Mr. Barry, how would we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at trekkieb 47 Catch my Power Rangers podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network at Ranger Command PH on Twitter, RangerCommand.com. And these are the only two big things uh, in my life that are my fandoms forever. So Star Trek and Power Rangers. That's what that's what I'm about. They both have awesome uniforms. Go go power Starfleet. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have uh, that much of a ring to it, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this uh, finale. It's been a it's been a long road getting from here to there. Oh no! <laughs> uh, uh, be- before you break into uh, into the rest of the song, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. At Nova Charter, and I'm I'm pretty active on both of those. So if you want to find me there, yeah, do it. And you can follow us on the Starfleet Escape Podcast at SF Escape Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, live long and prosper. Peace and long life. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. 
like us on facebook.com slash sfxscapepod and add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfxscapepod.com. <laughs>